Did you set off any fireworks this week? Looks like everyone still has like their fingers and everything, so none fell over. Uh, I was talking to my barber this week. I got my hair cut, obviously, because I had to preach on Sunday. Uh, and he was like, we don't do fireworks anymore. My wife and I don't do fireworks. He's like, oh, why? It's like, well, we were setting off a mortar, uh, or someone was in like the little tube, and the tube fell over and shot right back at him. He's like, we stay inside. We don't do fireworks. Um, if you were setting them off in the area of the Lancaster Walmart, thank you. Every time I heard any sort of boom, my dog freaked out like the world was ending. So I spent the past like four nights trying to comfort her. It's a little bit ridiculous. Um, it, it seems like kind of every summer I end up here at some point. Uh, I was looking back last year. It was right before we were going to be leaving for the Costa Rica missions trip as well. Uh, and last summer I was actually uh, training for a run I was going to do in the fall at this time. Uh, Matt Miller, who comes here to Keystone, convinced me to do a 50K race. And, and I'm not sure why I agreed, but I agreed to it, and so I had to train. And so I trained through the summer into the fall, uh, and then race day came in the uh, early October, early fall, and we packed our stuff up, uh, brought our wives along, they came to cheer for us, and we headed to Blue Marsh Lake in Redding, uh, where we were going to run around this lake for the next five hours. Um, when we got there, uh, I went to one of the porter potties, got changed into my running clothes, signed in, got my number that I have to stick on, and with about 25 minutes left, I came back out to my car because that's where we had left our running shoes in the trunk. Uh, it was about the time that I got to the car that I realized uh, I no longer have my keys in my pocket. Okay, stay calm. I've lost things before many of times. I know what to do. Like, just look in my backpack that I have along. So I look in, look inside the pockets there, no keys. Pull out the sweatpants I had on, look in them, no keys. Okay, now, now I'm starting to panic, right? And now, now they can tell something's wrong. Like, what's wrong? I don't have the keys. Our running shoes are locked in this car. If we don't get the keys in the next 20 minutes, we're not running this race. And everything I just did all summer was wasted. So I'm freaking out. I'm looking in the car to see if they're locked in there, looking on the ground, uh, Bree's checking her pockets to see if I gave them to her, and then it clicks. I was like, wait a second. I changed in the porter potty. Maybe they fell out when I was changing. And so I, I walk back to the line of the porter potty I think I was in, and I'm standing there, and I'm just like, what if they're not in there? Well, like, what if they're not on the ground or on the sides? Like, what if they dropped way down in? How bad do I, I really want to run this race right now, right? And, and it was a, about this time as I'm waiting, Bree gives me a call, I have my cell phone on me, says, hey, we found the keys, uh, they were in the outside pocket of your backpack, right where I could have seen them all along. They, they were right in front of me all along. Even as I made all this effort running around trying to find these keys, they were right in front of me all along. As Brandon said, we're, we're going to be doing this series about the good life. And the good life is something I want to say that uh, the Bible would point out we had at one point as humans. That the whole of, gar of the Garden of Eden is the good life. That God creates everything and says it's very good. That, that it is paradise. That every single desire we have is met and fulfilled in God in that moment. No shame, no guilt, no worry, no fear, no anxiety. Like our best days in this life when we're at an all-inclusive resort and the only worry we have is whether we should eat at the Italian place or the Japanese place tonight are but a whiff of the life we had in Eden. But then we lost it. 
because we bought into the lie that we needed something more than God to have the good life. In fact, we bought into the lie that God was withholding the good life from us, right? That he had it back here, he's hiding it, and that we had to reach out and grab it and become like him in order to have the good life. And I would say ever since that moment, we've been on a chase to try to recover the good life. That we've been running to different sources, hoping that we can find there the life we've always wanted. That there are all sorts of narratives or voices out there that tell us this is where the good life is found if you'll just run there. It's in our books. Uh, Just last week I was at a bookstore for an event and I was waiting in line and I picked up two of their bestsellers uh, on their bestseller table. And either on the front page or the back cover, it mentions something about the good life, how to find it, how it's different, right? You, you never see a book that says seven steps to the mediocre life. No one would buy that because we want the good life. It, it's in the songs that we listen to. I, I would argue a lot of the songs we listen to either talk about finding the good life, getting it, uh, brag about already having it, or lament losing it. And, and so if you listen to rap music, Uh, In many ways, the good life is probably money, power, and sex. If you listen to rock music or pop music, maybe, it it might be some version of finding the freedom to be yourself and express yourself or finding love. If you listen to country music and that's your choice, it's probably driving a truck, dating the farmer's daughter, and having a dog named Hank Jr. I don't know. I don't really listen to country music. Uh, It's in our marketing marketing is you need this product that we didn't think we needed before, didn't even know about, to have the good life. What, one of my favorites is the, uh, the Samsung commercials, uh, specifically one of the Samsung commercials, you've probably seen it, where the person has an iPhone and they just keep being frustrated time and time again. Like each upgrade brings some new problem for them. There's something wrong with it. And then the commercial closes with him like opening up the Samsung box and he's like, Ah, I found it. And I just want to like yell at the screen when that happens. Your phones were blowing up two years ago when your batteries were burning. And never mind that this phone is going to need updated in a year, right? But it's in our marketing. This is what you need for the good life. It's also in us. It's in the questions we ask each other. It's why we ask high schoolers many times, hey, what are you going to do? What, What college are you headed to? What career are you going to choose? What field are you going to work in? Have you found a job in your field yet? Have you found a job with your degree that you have, right? And after they found the job, then we start to ask, have you found a girl yet? When are you going to find a girl? And after they found the girl, we ask, when when are you going to have kids? And when they have kids, we're not really sure what to ask sometimes because that's the good life, right? See, we we have lots of things to say and hear about the good life. And, And John, fortunately, I think has a lot of things to say about the good life as well. Because if you look in the book of John, he rarely, only two times, talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But he talks about eternal life a lot. He has Jesus saying a lot of things about life and eternal life. And when he mentions eternal life, it's not just this idea of quantity of life, as in forever. It's also the idea of quality of life, the good life, the good life. And he's got a lot of things to say about it. And and so that's what we want to look at over the next four weeks is uh, how do we chase after the good life? How do we try to gain it? What does John, what does Jesus ultimately say about the good life and how it's found in him? And and to start out this morning, I want to look at the story of the woman at the well. Uh, A fairly familiar passage probably, but I want to see what it teaches us about uh, the good life. 
And I would argue, uh, we learn in this passage, the good life is a life that's deeply satisfying. Good life is a life that's deeply satisfying. And I would say, kind of the big idea is, we chase after the life that we think will satisfy us. We chase after the life that we think will satisfy us. Let let me pray again, and then we're going to be in John 4, starting in verse 4. Father, I pray that you would speak powerfully this morning, that you'd speak into our lives, into our hearts, into the very things that are happening right now, that, that you would show us how much better, how much greater the life you offer us is than the life that we often chase around. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in verse 4 in John, and we'll go through verses or verse 30. He, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. He's going back up to Galilee, and John says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well until about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, but sir, you, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer us better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that the Jews insist on that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so that those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? 
the woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I want to start in verses uh, 10 through 15, actually, and kind of work our way up, and then we'll flash back to verses 1 through 9 at the end. Uh, What's going on in the conversation between Jesus and this woman? Because they seem to be missing each other, right? He's talking about water. She's talking about physical water. He's talking about living water. She doesn't quite understand what that is. What's going on in this conversation? Uh, I think Jesus is pointing out Listen, you've got a thirst that is deeper than just for physical water. You've got a thirst that is deeper that you need to quench. You've got a thirst to be deeply satisfied, just as water might satisfy your thirst. You've got this deeper thirst that you need to be satisfied. And I think he's trying to point out to her, hey, we chase after things in this life that will satisfy us. Or in other words, we believe that something in this life will satisfy us. That's the first point I want to draw out. We believe that satisfaction can be found in something in this world. We take good things and we try to use them to satisfy our thirst. It's what uh, an author by the name of Steve Hopp calls sipping salt water. Sipping salt water. And I I love this imagery. I'm actually going to quote from him. Here's what he says. In our nagging state of thirst... For paradise lost, right? Hear that? For the good life. What do we drink? Salt water. We consume things that look and feel and sound like they can quench our thirst. They promise unmatched pleasure. They promise limitless comfort, joy, strength, peace, excitement. They vow to remove our fears, tears, worries, guilt, and shame. They pledge to fill the voids in our hearts and soothe our aching souls. They promise paradise, but they can't deliver. They promise paradise, but they can't deliver. See, salt water is not a bad thing, right? Salt water can actually be a really good thing. Like, uh, if you are sore, your muscles are sore, and you go take a bath with Epsom salts in it, that's supposed to relieve some of the soreness in your muscles. That salt is a good thing. If you have a cut and it's starting to look like it's infected, you pour salt water on there. Yeah, it might burn, but it will help to disinfect it. Uh, You want to clean your skin? You want to exfoliate your pores? Go soak in some salt water for a while. Not that I would know that. But that's why people flock to the Dead Sea and go to resorts there because it's good for their skin. But you take a gulp of salt water thinking it's going to satisfy a thirst, and you're probably going to be pretty disappointed and it's probably actually going to make things worse, right? So Jesus is pointing out, we all have our drink of choice that we run to, hoping that it will satisfy us. We have wells that we run to, thinking, if I get water from here, I'll be satisfied. And for the woman, he's going to point out, you're running to men, and the love and the security you think they can provide in order to find satisfaction, See, there, there are all sorts of wells, all sorts of drinks of choice that we run to. It might be a career. It might be a marriage. It might be a child. It might be another child. It might be a child who finally listens and obeys. It might be a grandchild. It might be the approval of other people. It, it might be a college. It might be a better college. See, there are all sorts of things that we run to. 
What's your drink of choice that you think, if I can get this, it will satisfy me. It will give me the good life. Most likely, it's a combination of several of those. And see, here's, here's part of the problem. We don't realize, I think, how thirsty we are and sometimes how dissatisfied we are because there's still more out there for us to try. Most of us in this room, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I would say we haven't achieved all the dreams of our lives. We haven't achieved everything that we're chasing after. And we can believe the lie that down the road, when I get those things, if I get those things, I'll be satisfied. Satisfaction is just around the corner in a better marriage. It's just around the corner in the next job that I go to. It's just around the corner in more people praising me. It's just around the corner. And so we keep running and chasing and chasing. And we never quite find it. It's a little bit like trying to buy a diamond ring at the dollar store. There's probably lots of rings at the dollar store. I don't know. I haven't went checking, trying to buy one, but I would guess there are. But if you go into the dollar store thinking, I'm going to find a diamond ring in here, unless someone really screwed up the order, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. You may find a ring that looks like a diamond ring, and you may think that's a diamond ring, and you may walk out with it, but probably within a couple weeks it's going to rust, it's going to break down because it's not real. And so what we can do is we can think, well, okay, I just need to buy another ring from the dollar store, and that won't be a diamond ring. Or we can start to think, you know, there's a lot of dollar stores out there. If I just go to the next dollar store down the road, okay, the one in Paradise didn't work, let me go to the one in Lancaster. That one didn't work, okay, let me go to the one in York, and keep chasing and chasing, convincing ourselves that the diamond ring can be found in the dollar store. Right? And as long as we think a diamond ring is going to be found in a dollar store, we're not going to look elsewhere for it. As long as we think satisfaction is going to be found in something in this world, we don't stop to look outside this world to find it. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this one to see. Hey, you are deeply dissatisfied. The thing you're drinking of is not quenching your thirst. Maybe you need to look somewhere else. I, I wonder if part of the reason why many of us, even as Christians, are discontent and unhappy is because we're convinced we need something more to satisfy us. I I wonder if many of the reasons why some of us as even Christians, myself included, get anxious and worried and overwhelmed is because we're afraid we might not get that thing. We might not get that drink that's going to satisfy us. Or we're afraid we have it, but we might lose it. See, so what's, what's your drink of choice that you tend to run to, and is it really delivering what you thought it would be? Because Jesus is going to shift the conversation with this woman. She's still not quite getting it, still not understanding, and so he's going to shift gears in the conversation but not shift direction. He's going to point out to her, hey, here's your drink of choice, and then essentially say, how's that working out for you? Here's your drink of choice. How's that working out for her? And so he asks her, do you have a husband? And he starts this conversation where I think he ultimately wants to show us the things we chase after tend to enslave us and fail us. That's the second point. The things we tend to chase after uh, tend to enslave us and, and fail us. I, I love how he just changes the direction of the conversation. Hey, go get your husband. And the woman naturally wants to avoid this because this is no doubt the thing that has brought her so much shame in her lives. 
all these failed marriages. She doesn't want to talk. It's the reason she's coming to the well at noon, by the way, when no one else would be around. Because she's probably got tons of judgmental glances from people who think it's her fault. Or pitiful glances from people who just think, oh, her life's turned out so bad. And so she avoids it. And she tries to dodge Jesus' question. I don't have a husband. Side note, have you ever noticed in you or people around you how when we realize the conversation is taking a turn and it's starting to get towards our hearts and what's really going on, we try to avoid that at all costs. Right? Like, we make small talk with people we know really well because we don't want it to go deeper and for them really to see what's happening in us. We pray about the weather when our lives are falling apart, but we don't want to admit it. We, we tell half-truths, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, when there's something far deeper going on. Right? That's exactly what this woman is doing. Let me avoid this because it's too painful, too risky to go there. But Jesus sees through her because he sees through everything. And he says, you're, you're right. You don't have a husband. You had five previously, and the one that you're living with now won't marry you. Ouch. Right? There's the source. There's the thing she thought was going to deliver life to her and instead brought shame. See, the things we chase after often tend to just make things worse in our lives. A couple years ago, I was uh, backpacking with a couple friends in Shenandoah Valley. And we were out for three, two nights, three days. And we were uh, trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get water? Uh, we got to plan this in advance. And so one of the friends brought a filter along. Like, okay, every creek we stop at, we'll filter through this and we'll fill back up with water. We'll be good to go. And everything went great. Uh, we got, had enough water. We got back until the next morning after we got back. And then we woke up uh, and a couple of us had some issues going on in our stomachs, uh, which led to one of us having to change their pants before they went to work. Not me, all right? But, but the water that we thought, this is going to make things better. This is going to quench our thirst. In the long run, made things worse. It actually dehydrated us. We needed more water to quench that. Right? The things that we chase after thinking, that's going to satisfy me, often tend to make things worse because they first enslave us, or if we get them, they fail us. Right? This is obvious in the woman's life, I think. Right? You're enslaved to men and their approval. It's obvious in the drug addict's life or the alcoholic's life. You keep running to the very thing that is destroying your life, hoping it will give you life. And we see that one, like, that's so obvious. I wonder if we realize how it plays out in our lives sometimes. I mean, think about it. If we think the good life is going to be raising successful children, then we are enslaved to the results of those children's lives. Enslaved to whether they succeed or fail. If we think the good life is found in money, then we are enslaved to the number that's in our bank account or the amount of our salary. If we think the good life is going to be found in other people's approval, then we are enslaved to what other people say about us. See, the thing we chase after enslaves us because we convince ourselves we have to have it. And if we don't get it, we're miserable because we haven't got it, right? And so some of the things that happen, we might get bitter at God saying, you, you didn't give me the good life. 
and you gave it to other people. Why is that, God? You don't care about me? We might get angry at the people who get in the way of us having the good life. You got in the way of me having what I wanted, so I'm angry at you. I had to move the other way. Often we get envious of the people around us who we think do have the good life, right? It used to be you had to look over the white picket fence to find out what you were missing out on and what you needed in this life to make you happy. Now all you have to do is, is open up a screen and you can see all the good life that everyone else has, at least we think so, that we don't have. Or we feel ashamed because we just weren't good enough. We failed. We couldn't get it. Trying to chase after the good life in this world enslaves us. Or it fails us because we ultimately get it and it doesn't turn out to be as good as we thought. It doesn't turn out to be the satisfaction we were craving for. A great example of this is in a movie called The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but it's kind of like the half-true, probably not very true at all, story of P.T. Barnum uh, and him rising up from a child who was impoverished to starting the circus of worldwide fame that we know as the Barnum and Bailey Circus that just shut down, I think, in 2017. And from the very earliest ages, you see Barnum deciding, I'm going to get the good life. I'm going to find what satisfies me. And so he runs after it and chases after it. And his drink of choice seems to be the applause and praise of people. You see it in the movie. Anytime the show stops and people clap for him, he lights up. This is it. But you also see that it's never enough. He needs more people's praise, more people's approval. It doesn't deliver what he thought he has, and so he keeps running and chasing. And it's so well put, actually, in a song that's right in the middle of the movie called Never Enough. And here's, I think I have a quote from that song on the next slide. Uh, All the lights, let me read it from here. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough never be enough. I love that line. These hands could hold the world. We could have everything it offers. Never be enough. Even if we get our drink of choice and we achieve the best life, it will still never be enough. Do we believe that? Because if we do, we, we should stop chasing after these things with such passion, thinking that we need them to deliver us the good life. Why will it never be enough? Because ultimately, we were designed for a greater satisfaction. We're designed for satisfaction in God. That's the third point. See, Jesus, again, is going to kind of shift the, well, the woman's going to shift the conversation this time. She's like, I know you're a prophet. Uh, Answer this theological question I have. Where should we worship? And again, while it's shifting gears, it's not shifting directions. Because Jesus is ultimately going to show her, hey, it doesn't matter where you worship. It matters who and how you worship. It matters who and how you worship. See, we were created to worship what we find to be satisfying. We were created to worship what we think will give us the good life. Right? This is why, on a small scale, we praise and recommend the restaurants that we like. Right? We tell other people about them. We say how good they are because they satisfy us to a certain extent. 
It's why when I'm going to take my wife out on a nice date, we don't go to the Waffle House. Sorry, if you own a Waffle House or work at a Waffle House, no offense. Uh, but I don't think it's very satisfying, right? We pack up and we go to the local Chick-fil-A because it's satisfying. I'm kidding. We're more classy than that. We go to Chipotle. Uh, but we go where we think will satisfy us. We praise it. We worship We tell other people about it, right? God designed us to worship him because he knows we will be satisfied in him alone. To, to steal a quote from John Piper that's so famous, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Or, or another way someone put it that I just saw this week, Christianity is not merely or even mainly about correcting your bad habits, but about satisfying and fulfilling you in the deepest way possible and therefore making God look as great as he is. Satisfying and fulfilling us so that God looks as great as he is. Right? God wants us to be deeply satisfied. That may almost sound bad depending on your view of God. God wants us to have the good life. That may sound like the prosperity gospel at first, but it's not. Because God knows that the only place we'll be deeply satisfied and the only place we'll have the good life is ultimately in him. So how how do we find this satisfaction in God? How do we grow in that? Well, there's not necessarily an easy one-two process, but I think part of it is we turn from and repent from the things that we're chasing after to satisfy us. Say, God, that's not going to satisfy me. Forgive me for running after that. And we turn, and then we worship. And Jesus said, how do we, we worship in spirit and truth? That what we know about God, who he is, and what he's done for us, captivates our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and our affections, and so we worship him. Because we, we don't worship, we, we don't necessarily satisfied in God if we know a lot of things about him, but our hearts don't care about him. Nor are we really worshiping God if our hearts are really passionate and flame, but, but we're not really chasing after the true God. Worship in spirit and truth. What we know about God captures us, inflames us, wakes us up. And so we worship. And as we worship, we're more satisfied in God. And as we're more satisfied, we worship more. And as we worship more, we're more satisfied. See, it's this cycle Jesus talks about, the living water bubbling up in us, turning into eternal life. We worship when the, we have the life that the world envisions as a good life, when we have everything that we wanted. And we worship when our lives are burning to the ground because God is the one who satisfies. I mean, let's, let's be real for a second. How many of us would trade places with the woman that we're talking about? How many of us would be like, I'll, I'll trade places, I'll, I'll give up my life and take her life? Right, we, we hear about uh, LeBron getting 154 mil to go play ball in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'll trade spots. Right, yeah, that sounds like the good life. I'll take that. Uh, a woman with five failed marriages. Yes, please. A life of shame, alienation, and failure. Yeah, give me some of that. No, none of us would trade places with her. None of us, because she has a miserable life on the surface. Failed life terrible life, not the good life, and yet she's about to find the good life, even though it seems like her circumstances probably don't change, at least not that we know of, because she finds it ultimately in Christ. 
Jesus doesn't promise us the good life that we may think we should get. He doesn't promise us a good career, a good family, a good house, a good retirement. He doesn't promise any of those things. But he promises us that even when things go terribly wrong, you can still be satisfied. And even when things go perfectly right, you can be satisfied in God rather than in those circumstances. Like, do we believe that? Do do I believe that? Because if we do, why are we so often prone to complain about the life we have rather than worshiping the God who gave everything for us? Why do we complain about the life? That we say, this isn't good enough. I need more. I want more. You didn't deliver it to me. And so we whine and we complain and I, I do this. Rather than looking at the God who gave everything to give us the good life. See, Jesus gave up the good life so that we can have it. From the beginning of this passage, Jesus is a man on a mission. It says he had to go to Samaria. No, he didn't. He could have actually went around Samaria. But he had to. He's going through there. He lingers by the well when all his disciples go off. He, he wins the world record for jumping over social boundaries to initiate a conversation with this woman. And then he loves her and he pries open her heart and he deals with what's in there to show her where satisfaction is found. Well, why is he by the well? Because he's tired. Why does he ask for a drink? Because he's thirsty. Why is that? Because he's human. Why is he in Samaria in the first place? Because he left the perfect life at God's side to come be in a broken world and to offer us the good life that we're longing for, that we desire. I mean, think about even just this woman's situation. She longs for a man who will love her. And here's a man right in front of her who knows her fully, He knows all of her junk, all of her mess, all of her failure. He knows her life has been miserable and yet loves her perfectly. He's going to go to the cross to die for her. He gives up the good life so that we can get it. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been following the Thai uh, rescue situation that's going on this week. Um, If you don't know about it, here's to catch you up to speed. There there was 12 soccer boys and their coach who went into a cave, Uh, And it's monsoon season in Thailand, and so it rained really bad, flooded. They got trapped way back in, two and a half miles in. Uh, June 23rd, they got trapped. And just this past Monday, uh, divers finally found them back in the cave. They're like, all right, great, they found them, perfect. And then all of a sudden they realize, well, wait a second, getting them out is going to be a problem. Getting them out is going to be a problem because none of these boys even know how to swim, yet alone scuba dive in caves. Like, it takes the best divers almost five hours to get back into them, right? And they're like, okay, well, maybe we can wait it out. We'll just give them food and let them stay back in there. But then oxygen levels were dropping, and so they're like, no, we have to get them out. And it's interesting that I think the rescue is actually going on right now as we speak. I think the first two got out. But what happened on Friday was, I think, one of the most interesting things. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the divers, an ex-Thai Navy SEAL, lost his life. And what he was doing was he was going back into the cave to deliver oxygen to these boys and deliver oxygen along the way so that they can get out of the cave. And as he's going out of the cave scuba diving, he runs out of oxygen and dies. That's a wonderful picture of the gospel, right? Jesus comes after us. Some of his last words are going to be, I thirst. Why? so that we can be satisfied. 
Jesus gives up the good life so that we can find it in him. Jesus gives up satisfaction so that we can be deeply satisfied by God. Do do we believe that? Or are we still running around after other things convinced they're going to give us the good life? Do we really believe, all right, the good life is found in worshiping God no matter what my circumstances may be, good or bad? Or are we still chasing after the good life? Running again and again and again to other things when in fact it's been right in front of us all along if we just look to Christ. I I hope over the next couple weeks you see more clearly I see more clearly the life we have in Christ. See how good it is, and as a result of it, are drawn to worship the God who ultimately satisfies us.